This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. So, not 24 hours after we finished recording last show, talking about how fantastic and wonderful it would be if Miko Lettinen would only sign with the Montreal Canadiens, he goes ahead and signs with the arch-nemesis Toronto Maple Leafs, who definitely do need help on defense, and add another, I would say, offensive-minded defenseman from what I've heard, possibly undersized, not necessarily a stalwart defensively, but nevertheless, adding another good player at great value for the Maple Leafs can't hurt. I mean, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Uh, We talked about how we would love to see this guy come to Montreal, and then, of course, uh, the next day he shows up and he goes to Toronto. I mean, of all the fucking teams he could have picked, obviously he picks that one. Um, I didn't even know Toronto was in the running for Miko Lettinen, so I don't know what bullshit Kyle Dubas pulled. But, uh, and, like, it's not like they have a void at left defense either, right? Um, their problems mainly are on the right side, and uh, Lettinen doesn't really fill that hole. Maybe he does play the right side, I don't know. But uh, at first glance, uh, I'm not sure if he's got guaranteed playing time uh, out in Toronto. M- maybe not in Montreal either, but, like, seriously, Toronto, uh, of all the teams that he could have picked, uh, I honestly, I hate this. And, uh, you know, like anything that makes, I mean, this is the kind of thing that Toronto, right, they need, right? Cheap guys, cheap young guys on a super cheap contract to fill the depth on the team. And uh, if you look at it like that, it's a pretty good fit for Toronto. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that kind of shit makes me mad. Chris Johnston did report that Mikko Lettinen does have plenty of experience playing on the right side. And I think a couple of years ago, uh, when he was still playing in Finland, well, not in Finland because he's still playing. In the Finnish league, he played like a full season on the right side or something like that. So that is quite possibly where the Leafs are going to start him out. But also, um, this has made a lot of people think maybe Travis Dermott is now on the block because now, if you think about it, uh, left defense, Toronto has Riley, Muzzin, Dermott, Rasmus Sandin, and now Mikko Lettinen too. So, I mean, even if you have, if you move Lettinen to the right, then that's four left defensemen who are probably going to be uh, in the NHL next year. So, Dermot, a lot of people are pointing out, is maybe the odd man out. So, maybe a team like New Jersey or LA with a hole on left defense would uh, look into acquiring him in the offseason, whenever yeah. that comes. Yeah, any of those teams that, that missed out on Lettinen. Um, and, you know, Dermot's an interesting name. I mean, he was pretty highly touted as the future of that defense just like a season ago, one off season ago. Uh, but he had a pretty, she- pretty shitty season this year. Um, he was injured, I believe, to start the season. And then he never really got back to form. He wasn't very good. And so now it seems like he's on the outs on that defense core. And, uh, I mean, he's pretty young. I, I, how old is he? Like 24, 23, uh, something like that. And, uh, I mean... Basically, any team could use a guy like Travis Dermott. I, I know his stock has fallen, but still, I mean, who couldn't use a guy like that? And, uh, yeah, you talk about those teams like New Jersey, the, the Kings, both of them uh, were, their their names were in the, the you know, those those news clippets about Miko Lettinen, and so I'm sure they definitely uh, get a guy like Travis Dermott. And uh, at this point, I think probably this is, this is, if this is a solid buy low point if you're one of those teams because I don't think Travis Dermott's stock has ever been lower. Yeah, I agree. Uh, going back to something you said a little bit before about how no one really had Toronto's name in the mix for Miko Lennon, uh, Kyle Dubas, uh, at least since he's been the GM with the Leafs, they've had a lot of uh, European free agents. And I guess, you know, even thinking back with Lou, so I guess the Leafs for like, quite a long time 
have been able to get, you know, think of guys like Sashnikov, even though he didn't really pan out, Nikita Zaitsev, Igor Ozhiganov, another name who didn't pan out, Ilya Mikheyev, and recently Alexander Barabanov, and now Mikko Letnin. So the Leafs are constantly, you know, dipping their feet in the water in terms of European free agents. And you think back to, like, what happened with Ilya Mikheyev earlier this year with that freak accident injury um, and how Kyle Dubas, uh, I hope I'm getting this story right, I think stayed with him to kind of, you know, help him out, make sure he's okay, run some errands for him while the Leafs were on a road trip. So, like, small things like that that show how much the organization cares about the players really goes a long way in convincing these free agents that Toronto's a good place to be. Sure, I'm sure those help. But uh, I think, honestly, the first reason why they get so many European free agents is because they're freaking loaded. I mean, their, organi- their organization, MLC, is the richest, richest organization in the league. Uh, I think they're valued at the highest, if not second highest, to the Rangers. Uh, and so they're just fucking cash trapped. So they can do whatever the hell they want. They can go to those depths and, and send like many scouts uh, off to Europe, find these guys, and really like do those small things. Well, to have to get those small things done, you need to have money and you need to send these guys there. Uh, and you know, if you want to have dinner with whatever the family or the player or whatever it is, uh, you need the money. And the fact is, you know, a lot of these teams, these smaller market teams, they're cash strapped. Like uh, you know, the first thing that co- the first team that comes to mind is Ottawa, right? They, they can't afford to pay their players. Why the hell would they be? Uh, how how the hell would they afford? You know, sending many scouts over to, to scout, like you know, to personally scout and to like you know to recruit a bunch of these European free agents. I don't really think they have the budget for that. Uh, a team like Toronto. Uh, they have like unlimited money at this point, and so they can afford to do that. Uh, my question is, another team uh, that is in a similar situation, I believe, is Montreal. And so, you know, I know we saw Radulov. Uh, that's like the notable example, one example. But like, why aren't we at the level of Toronto? And uh, and I think you would have to attribute it to what, what you said earlier. You know, it's just uh, doing those small things. I think you need to have both. You need to have the money. And the organizational capability to do those small things, I think Montreal has won. And I think the organization is kind of a mess right now. And uh, that's why we see these reagents and, you know, oh, you know, they could fill a need in Montreal. But in the end, they just never sign here. I don't think, I don't really think that's the difference between Toronto and Montreal in terms of getting this free, free agents. Because we've seen plenty of instances of Mark Bergevin kind of going out of his way. Like we just saw with Kovalchuk at the deadline. He reportedly had a better offer than Washington's third-round pick and decided to do right by Kovalchuk, even though he had only been there for, like, a month and a half. So I don't think that's the problem. I think the bigger difference is that Toronto's just better and has, you know, more exciting talent on the team to play with. Uh, so I really think that could possibly be the big difference right now between Toronto and Montreal. Um, not to mention, maybe the language barrier with the French has something to do with it if these... You know, because I assume most of these European players uh, might have might know some English, probably not much French. To be really honest, I'm not so sure about the language demographics in Europe, but that would be my guess. Yeah, I'd agree, and I think you hit some good points there. Um, and yeah, absolutely. If I'm a, if I'm a player coming over from Europe, I wanna I wanna win, right? That's what hockey players want to do. Their first priority usually is is like making money and winning, and then usually winning comes first for some reason. And uh, yeah. I mean, let's let's not lie here. Uh, as I said, the organization is kind of a mess in Montreal here, and uh, we don't really know what we're doing in terms of uh, winning. Uh, we don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, and Toronto, they're on the up and up. I mean, uh, what can I say? So, yeah, I, I guess that, that that might be the difference. But then again, you know, if we're talking about Mikko Lennon, he probably gets more playing time in Montreal. 
So uh, it's kind of injurious that, uh, you know, he's fucking left for Toronto uh, of all the teams that he could have gone to. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't, like the one weakness Toronto had, their, their biggest weakness, uh, was the defense. And so, you know, you hate to see them kind of shore it up because uh, I don't want them going on any sort of long run. So speaking of UFA defensemen that Montreal can't sign, at least, at the very least, they can sign their own left defenseman out of Europe. Alexander Romanov, wasn't that a nice segue? We don't usually do much of those, but uh, I think I nailed that one if I do say so myself. Alexander Romanov has signed his entry-level contract, very highly touted prospect, second-round picks from a couple years back, and all signs point to him starting next season in the NHL with Montreal and staying there full-time. I'm pretty sure if this season resumed, he would not be eligible because you can't add, you can't have a player on your team, add them after the deadline, and then play them in the playoff. Wait, wait, wait. So if they do some sort of regular season, then maybe he would be eligible for that, but not the playoffs. Um, but yeah, so but they might change or play around with rules anyway because of obviously the whole situation. Anyway, that's not really the point. The point is that Romanov is officially signed and he's coming to Montreal next season. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I'm trying to find out would he, like in a normal year, would he be eligible? And I believe that they are, actually. Uh, you know, I have it here uh, that teams normally, teams would be able to sign players such as Romanov once the transfer signing period opens April 30th and use them in the playoffs, provided they're free of their contractual obligations in Europe, which Romanov is. And so they Columbus did that with uh, Vladislav Gavrikov. Anyways, that's what this oh, hockey yes. news article says. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, I they, Bill Daly was asked about this. He said likely that, uh, you know, if the playoffs were to continue or to, 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 to happen, that Romanov would be ineligible. And uh, frankly, I don't see the logic in that. I mean, why the hell uh, are you so intent on changing the rules this year? I mean, I understand it's a special, very special circumstance. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I don't see the what, what's the difference here, what's happening, and why they would not let uh, Romanov play. Uh, once he signs and, and if the playoffs do happen in Montreal's part of it. Yeah, it happened with Gavrikov last year. I think it also happened with Nikita Gusev in Vegas, even though they didn't actually play him for some reason. If we were doing this podcast at that point, I would have gone on quite the rant about that. Anyway, um, so yeah, Alexander Romanov should be eligible for this season if the season continues. So that's uh, a very exciting thing for Montreal to be looking forward to. I don't expect that they're going to throw him into the wolves right away, especially considering he has, I don't think, any experience on North American ice, let alone in the NHL. So I do think they would probably ease him into it. I, he would be in the lineup, probably on the bottom pair. So the six would be, you know, Weber, Petrie, Matei, Ben Chirot, Brett Kulak, and Alexander Romanov, with maybe Matei or Kulak being the one to play on their offside. So I don't mind that six, at least for this season. Obviously, it's not Stanley Cup caliber, but then, but I think Romanov is going to be a very important part of the team for a really long time, considering all the hype about him. Even saw you might have seen this, uh, an Eastern Conference executive that uh, remains anonymous, reported as reported by Eric Engels, said Alexander Romanov is, I don't know if he's they said like the next Drew Doughty or maybe like very comparable to Drew Doughty, something like that. He compared him to Drew Doughty in some way or another, and a lot of people are kind of freaking out about that. I think it might be a little bit of overkill. Yeah, I don't know. We see these interviews with, like, anonymous executives. I mean, yeah, sure, you might pump somebody's somebody's tires anonymously, but uh, who knows what they really think. And, uh, look, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely excited about Romanov, and honestly, he probably is going to be the steal of the draft. I mean, second round, 
Uh, and the fact is, like, uh, when we were watching the draft, we were like, who the hell is this guy, right? We were like, uh, never heard of this guy. He wasn't really on anybody's draft board to be drafted at all. And uh, so to be drafted the second round and then to pan out like this is, you know, credits to Bergevin. And uh, he looks absolutely remarkable. And when it comes to this season, I, I don't know what's happening. Like, if he, if he shows, if he, like, when he, if he does, when he does come over, like, if he's eligible or not. Because, yeah, normally he's eligible. But Daly, Bill Daly, says he would be very surprised if Romanov was eligible. So I don't know what's going on there uh, in terms of the NHL trying to sort that shit out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Romanov looks like an absolutely fantastic draft pick. Uh, second round picks, where you get to that point, you know, they're kind of coin tosses, really the second round uh, till the end of the draft, you're just, you know, it's like uh, you're really putting your faith in your scouting there. And uh, it seems like they did a pretty good job with Romanov because, uh, goddamn, I mean, to, to, to have him develop this fast and to have him such a, he's basically a blue chip prospect at this point, uh, just fantastic. I have a uh, an interesting theory about all of these, like, Eastern Conference or, like, anonymous executives pumping the tires of these opponents' players. Uh, we had this instance with Romanov, and I think recently we've had a similar thing with, like, Jesperi Kakanyemi, how he's, like, a slam dunk to become a franchise number one center. Some other anonymous executives saying something like that. I think maybe, maybe in the back of these anonymous executives' mind, they're like, oh, maybe if we pump Bergevin's tires long enough, then, I don't know, maybe he'll stay on the job longer if there's this perception that he's getting all these amazing players and doing such an amazing job. And that would be good for us because Mark Bergevin is maybe not necessarily the best at his job. I don't know, just, just a little thought, just a thought. That's a miserable conspiracy theory for, for Habs fans. I mean... Not uh, a conspiracy. <laughs> well, that's a no, pretty no big conspiracy. conspiring. Well, I mean, what are you talking about? You're saying the executives are conspiring to keep Bergevin on the job. I mean, no, uh, it's just like one. It's just like one executive maybe thinking like this. Like, hmm, maybe I'll just we'll keep Bergevin on the job a little bit longer if we create this. Or like, maybe it could just be one person. Who knows? Huh. I, I mean, that would be pretty sad. I mean, that would mean the per. And uh, frankly, if I was another executive, and uh, I would pull that move totally. If I'm an executive and I see a guy, <laughs> if uh, Peter Shirelli's my uh, division rival. Uh, he's the general manager of the division rival. Hell yeah, I'm pumping Peter Shirelli's tires uh, to every single reporter I can name uh, and I can find on my contacts. Uh, just, you know, keep me anonymous, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Peter Shirelli, yeah, he make, makes the great moves. Mark Bergevin does the same. And so I understand that. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty reasonable uh, assumption, I guess. Who knows? Uh, we don't know with these kind of things. Uh, so uh, talking about Romanov, what are your projections in terms of lineup? Not necessarily this season, but, you know, moving on because he is a left shooting defenseman and if you look at the depth chart uh the Habs are particularly loaded on the left side and pretty thin on the right side so how do you project that going uh how do you project that you know shaking out going forward uh well well you say loaded on the left side I would say that more in terms of numbers and not in terms of talent right because there's a bunch of because if you remember last year's draft they had you know a big amount of picks and they used at least half of them to take left shooting defensemen so what was it last year? Jaden Struble, Matthias Norlander, Gianni Fairbrother, Jacob Laguerre. So a bunch of left-wing defensemen. They're loaded in the pipeline now, but in terms of in the NHL, who's actually on the team, it's not much to you know go crazy about. Matej Kulak-Sharat, as we just said. So Romanov, I don't think in the next couple of years, the path will be that hard for him to become the best left-wing defenseman on this team. And as far as the right side, Weber and Petrie are still... You know, that's a very good two players to have on the right side. Who knows how much longer they'll be able to be at that level. Petrie's only signed for one more year. Weber, I mean, who knows how much longer he'll be able to maintain that level. So 
that's the kind of thing where if one or both of those players end up either leaving or their game falls off, then on the right side, you're pretty much screwed. So in terms of if you're talking about the immediate lineup from next year, Weber and Petrie should still be, you know, the, the one, two on the right side. Uh, what was your initial question? Well, basically, how do you see things shaking out in the future? Because, you know, I'm talking about that right side. It looks pretty empty in terms of numbers. I mean, we have Weber, we have Petrie, we have Fallen, right? If one of those guys gets hurt, particularly Petrie and Weber, I mean, what the hell do we do there? Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think. In the minors, we've got Kale Fleury also. Uh, he showed flashes. He's a right-shooting defenseman. I think he'll be able to be at least a really good bottom pair defenseman, maybe even a top four. Maybe fill in Jeff Petrie's shoes in a couple of years if we're being optimistic. Josh Brook also has some promise. He's a right-shooting defenseman. I think he kind of didn't have such a great year with the Rocket, but I think he could still turn out to be an NHLer. And Noah Juleson also shoots right. And, but that's still that's a big question mark with all the injuries he's had to go through the past couple of years. So there are a couple question marks in the minors in terms of right defense. But if we're talking about who knows how long Petrie will be around and who knows how long Shea Weber will be able to be a number one, then I think this upcoming draft and next year's are the one there where they have to, where filling up the right defenseman pipeline has to be one of the focuses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look, I look at the the, the, raw, the depth charts and all that, and that's probably the spot on the roster where, you know, it's kind of a glaring hole uh, in terms of just numbers and, you know, just looking at the future because, you know, Weber hasn't been the most durable and Petrie's contract is up. Uh, and the left side, I mean, look, it's looking pretty damn good. I mean, if you add Romanov and he's as good as they say he is, like even like, uh, what, uh, a great third-pairing defenseman? I mean, who, who do you bump up on the left side? I think it's Brett Kulak, and if Brett Kulak's your seventh defenseman, I think you're, you're, you're sitting pretty on the left side on that defense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And especially looking down the line, if Romanov can develop into a top-pair defenseman, maybe not even a number one Drew Doughty level, but like uh, t- on the top pair, and then you've got maybe Jordan Harris and Victor Mete filling out the left side, I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so yeah, I think the left side of uh, the defense is, is a lot less of a concern now at this point uh, organizationally uh, than the right side. And uh, yeah, who knows? And, and Romanov is extremely exciting uh, as a prospect. And like, I, I can't wait to see him uh, and see what he's got next year. Yep. Uh, so unless you've got anything else to say on Alexander Romanov, we can move on to the maybe more big piece of news from the week concerning the Washington Capitals and Brennan Leipzig. Yeah, sure. All right, so you've probably heard at this point, Brendan Leipzig from a group chat he was in with Jack Rodewald, who's also a player in the Panthers organization, and a couple other people, I'm not sure who were there. Uh, the group chat leaked, or some messages from it at least, basically showing Brendan Leipzig in his true colors as a terrible person. I'm not going to go in depth about exactly what was said and what kind of things were said, but um, reprehensible. And the Washington Capitals took it upon themselves within just, I think, a day or two to um, they terminated Leipzig's contract. Um, so now Leipzig is a UFA. He's probably going to end up go sign in Europe somewhere. Uh, so this was, I would say, a PR win for Washington to take care of that so quickly. But as a lot of people were pointing out, the thing that kind of rubs people the wrong way is like, is Leipzig, he's like a marginal NHLer. After the, after the Capitals got Kovalchuk, he was a healthy scratch most nights. So, like, in terms of on ice, this is barely a loss at all for Washington. And you think not even just, like, a star like 
Ovechkin or Backstrom or Kuznetsov or Carlson, whoever, if a more like middle level, mid-level NHL or like, I don't know, Mark, Michael Kempney, Carl Hagelin, someone like that, just as an example for Washington, if this happened to them, uh, a, a real consistent contributor for Washington instead of Leipzig, then I don't think that Washington would have gone to these measures. They pr- it probably would have been something like, oh, handling it internally and just kind of hope people forget about it in a couple of days. So people were saying like, this isn't really necessarily the win for Washington that everyone's making it out to be. If the fact that Leipzig is a fringe NHLer is what made them okay with doing this. Well, I mean, absolutely. I think absolutely. The reason that they, they were so, you know, they were so quick to cut him is that he was a fringe NHL player. If it was anything, like, anything resembling contributor uh, in the big leagues, I think, I honestly think that, you know, he would still find himself with a job right now because, you know, we've seen this in in, in sports history and hockey. You know, we've talked about the problems in hockey culture in the past. Uh, and, uh, you know, if this guy's a contributor, I don't see the teams, you know, cutting their losses. I think uh, at that point, you know, as you said, they'll probably just try to hope this thing blows over because, you know, we've seen controversies. We've seen people do horrible things. Uh, they shows up in the news and the team goes, you know, oh, this is terrible. We, you know, we condemn their actions. And, you know, maybe they'll, you know, find them internally, suspend them a couple games or whatever it is. And then uh, a couple weeks later, they're still on the team and they're back to normal. I mean, uh, it's, it's a problem. And then when it comes to uh, what also is problematic is I saw a lot of, a lot of apologists come out of the woodshed uh, for Brendan Leipzig, uh, you know, whether it's online and whatnot, uh, players such as, you know, Brett Hall, former players such as Matthew Barnaby. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful the way this guy, they those two in particular defended him. Uh, I mean, well, as a Barnaby, uh, they're the defenses, you know, of the guy are, you know, pretty disgusting and they're pretty telling, uh, maybe a bit on the, the culture of hockey as a whole. I mean, uh, they were like, uh, a lot of the defense was, you know, everybody else does it. So, uh, you know, Leipzig only got shafted because he was caught. Well, uh, you know, you, no, not everybody else does it. If you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're fucking a good person, you're not going to be saying shit like that, uh, whether it's private or whatever it is. And so uh, to how I, I saw Barnaby was like, uh, you know, somebody was like, you know, 75% of all hockey players do this. And he replied, no, it's 95%. As if that was defending Brendan Leipzig. But in fact, you're like, you're kind of... You know, this is a former NHL player we're talking about. And uh, if he says it's so widespread within the hockey community, we know it is. This kind of language, it's been, you know, misogynist language. Uh, it's it's problematic. And when it comes to Brett Hall, this guy saying, uh, you know, in my time uh, when there was no social media, never would have been caught. Well, uh, the level of entitlement on this guy, uh, I can't believe he would say that. He says the game is no fun now. Um, well, I'm sorry. Were you in hockey for, the, for, for playing hockey? Or for, you know, going to strip clubs and, I don't know, fucking know, being a misogynist? Was that what made hockey fun for you? Just the culture that enabled that? Uh, I mean, frankly, that kind of thing is absolutely disgusting. And, uh, yeah, it's just that it's just that they lived. He says it's a different time. Well, it was a worse time for most people. It was only good for white men. And uh, to see this guy believe that uh, he's much worse off now and hockey players are much worse off in today's game uh, is frankly ridiculous. Yeah, you pretty much hit every big point there that I was going to bring up. Um, yeah, so people, I would say the good way to put it is they're really telling on this on themselves if they say something like, oh, yeah, uh, everyone does this, especially hockey players, so what's the big deal? Well, kind of that's the big deal, that everybody does it, and that's what needs to be fixed. And if it starts with Leipzig's chat getting leaked so that everyone can see how terrible it is, 
then that's a good start. And other people in a similar thing, like, well, what, what if we just leaked your group chest? And I'm sure you wouldn't be so happy about that, are kind of also telling on themselves, like, as if they would have something to hide in their group chat. Whereas a lot of people, uh, I don't have anything to hide in my group chat. Like, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want private conversations being revealed to the whole world, but if they did, I wouldn't be in trouble or be, you know, ridiculed for bad morality or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I mean, like, fuck, I wouldn't want to see my messages in public, but if they were to somehow, I mean, I wouldn't be called out for misogynic shitbag, uh, you know, misogynistic shitbag, which is what Brennan Leipzig is now. And we know that. And then, uh, I mean, to, to, uh, just to defend this in any sort of capacity is ridiculous. And then the, it's, it's, you know, the common thing, like if your friend went off and jumped off a cliff, would you jump off with him? And a lot of these people, the answer is yes. Uh, because you know, oh, everybody else does it, so I can do it too. Well, no. Okay, you're being you're being a terrible person if you're, you're employing this kind of language. And uh, you know, this kind of objectifying, we see it, uh, and uh, frankly, uh, we see it on the you know, one one podcast in particular, Spin Chicklets. You know, I've I listened to it in the past. Uh, I don't anymore. I regret listening to it uh, because I've come aware to the fact that it's uh, it's a, you know it's a bunch of terrible people. And so uh, you know, it's it, they they use that kind of language. And, and they're not really called out for it. I mean, they're extremely successful in the hockey world as a podcast. And, uh, you know, you got, you got to say, you know, like if that kind of thing is accepted and very widely accepted, I mean, that's a pretty big indictment on the, uh, on the hockey world. Yeah, uh, I think with Greg Wyshynski, who pointed out something very interesting about Brendan Leipzig, I think it was that he's been on five teams in the last three years. He was on the Leafs. He got claimed by the Golden Knights in the expansion draft. He was traded to Vancouver that trade deadline. He was traded to the LA Kings, I think about a year later, not tendered a qualifying offer and signed with Washington this summer. So he has been around the NHL and he hasn't lasted for very long on any particular team. So I think maybe this whole locker room problem, maybe he does have this sort of reputation because I will say uh, some of the things in that group chat where he um, he criticized like Jake Vertanen and a couple of his former Canucks teammates and also some current teammates of Washington, Tom Wilson, I think Garnet Hathaway, Nick Dowds, uh, just insulting them needlessly. So this thing, maybe he was like a toxic player who was constantly being shifted around. Like, oh, we don't like the guy, have this guy on our team. He brings a bad energy. Well, I mean, it's an indictment on the guy if you're being traded four different times or whatever it is, five different teams in how many years. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, uh, this guy seems like an absolute asshole. Because, uh, you know, as you said, he's insulting his former teammates. He's insulting his current teammates. And so, uh, you know, you got to think that can't be great for the locker room culture. I don't know if, you know, the guys uh, heard of this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, if they could feel, they could probably feel uh, feel it. So I can't imagine he was too well-liked. Uh, but the fact is, this guy, you know, you, can, you, can't, you can't use that to excuse uh, the behavior uh, of, you know, just the general culture in general. But, yeah, if we're talking about Brendan Lysick in particular... Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, he wasn't too liked if uh, no team seemed to, to want too much of him for, for too long. Uh, all right. So do you want to move, move on to the draft now? Uh, I yeah, think sure. that could be it on Leipzig. Um, so actually, a couple. there's been a couple like small developments in terms of when the draft is going to happen. It's not like last week it seemed like basically a sure thing it was going to be in early June. We thought we would have an announcement by this time. But now it's looking like it's going to come early this week. So maybe tomorrow or Tuesday on exactly when the draft is going to be. Maybe it'll come out with a statement of plan on continuing the season. Um, it's looking a lot like 2014 playoff is the way they're going to be going. 
I think I, I sent you actually, I figured out like a possibility of what the layout would be, like what the matchups would be for a 2014 playoff. Um, it includes the Montreal Canadiens, so that'll be interesting. And I'm not exactly sure like what divisions, you know, how they're going to cross over or anything. But anyway, it looks like it'll be 2014 playoffs. So what that means is that with the that so that leaves seven teams out of the playoffs, including three California teams. Those are the only teams in the West, and in the East, it's Detroit, Ottawa, New Jersey, and Buffalo. Unless they go with like top six in every division, then it would be the Rangers instead of Buffalo. But I don't think they'll do that. That doesn't make much, much sense. So anyway, with the draft lottery, there this the main idea was you know to have oh lottery only you you can only move up four spots but now i'm thinking they might go with this thing where oh these seven non-playoff teams all have a shot at winning number one. Oh, i don't remember if i saw that reported or if that was just an idea someone had what, what would you think of that well i think it'd be fascinating i mean i wouldn't be so opposed to that idea i mean it's certainly better than you know the mess that they proposed last week right the, the one with you know you can only move up four spots I think that's an absolute train wreck. And so this one's, you know, marginally better, I think. Uh, yeah, but but at that point, you'd have to announce what you're doing for the regular season and the playoffs, right? Because if you end up, you know, you know, finishing the regular season, then you only have your 16 teams, then it becomes funky because now you have eight teams that were, you know, or what are four, eight teams, I don't know how many it is, that didn't make the playoffs and weren't eligible to win the, the, the lottery. And so, you know... I think, though, the one thing that the NHL needs to figure out is what they're doing for the rest of the season. I talked about this last week, right? They need to get the order straight. And I don't think they can really solve anything in terms of, you know, figuring out what the draft is. And and, and I don't think they can institute your plan if it means that if, if they don't know what they're doing for the regular season or, or how they're going to do the playoffs. If they set as 24 season, uh, they you know, if they're set on 24 teams uh, in the playoffs, then I think this format makes sense. But if they're still not sure if they're doing 24, 16, whatever it is, maybe even less if they're doing a super short in playoffs, then I don't think it's fair to the teams that, you know, we don't know, like teams like Montreal or whatever it is, the Rangers, Buffalo. We, it's not really fair to those teams if they don't, if there's a possibility, we're talking about, you know, if there's a possibility of them not making the playoffs and not having a chance to lottery. So we talked, the NHL's talked about how they don't want one team to win the cup and win the lottery. Well, what about teams that don't make the playoffs but don't have a chance at winning the lottery. Yeah, uh, I think it kind of it, you would have to figure out what the playoffs are going to be like before you figure out what the draft lottery and the draft order is going to be like. And I think the NHL does know that. That's why we're getting all this news about playoff pl- playoff formats that are being considered with draft lottery formats being considered because they're going to have to be decided upon at the same time. Yeah, I, I hope so. That sort of thing, right? right? I would, that would be the smart decision uh, from the NHL. But frankly, I don't trust them in terms of their judgment. Uh, and maybe, who knows? Maybe they come out with a draft day and a draft plan, but they still have no idea what they're doing with the regular season. Uh, don't shock me. I mean, I, this this whole draft process, it really, like, it, you see these executives saying they're not for it. And, you know, the draft lottery, I don't, they don't know why they're changing it either. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, this just looks like the NHL is trying to rush things through to get the ratings to please their television broadcasters and that seems to be priority number one and not you know maybe maybe not uh like uh trying to get this completely perfect yeah i th- oh, I was going to mention this um earlier in the week there oh, who was it i think it was pierre lebrun came out with he asked a bunch of executives in the nhl what they thought about 
the lottery proposal where the team can only move up four spots. So Detroit can only move down to number two. Ottawa can only pick at, at worst third and fourth. The, that one we talked about last week. 28 of them got back to him. I'll, I'll let me try to remember the numbers. It was like, like 15 didn't like it. 10 didn't know. And three thought it was a good idea or maybe, no, I think it was five without it. Anyway, the, basically I think it was like five out of 28 of these executives said it was a good idea. So that just goes to show you how, uh, yeah, it's not a good idea, especially if that many executives are not only indifferent, but opposed to it, like over half of them, then you probably got some rethinking to do. Yeah, look, I can fucking name all of those general managers if you want. It's Detroit's general manager, it's Ottawa, it's Los Angeles, it's Anaheim, and it's New Jersey. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, uh, that, that's it right there. Uh, and only, you know, obviously those teams are going to be like, hell yeah. Uh, we're getting a great spot here, and we're like the only teams that can win the lottery. Uh, and coincidentally, it's five, right? If it is five, uh, I mean, that's the number of teams that can <laughs> fucking hop into the first pick. And so, yeah, uh, I think it's very interesting uh, that, you know, the vast majority either don't know what to think or just or just outright oppose it. And so it seems that, you know, it's interesting. The NHL, usually they go to their general managers uh, to pick what they're going to do, right, in terms of general manager meetings and, and, and all that. Uh, it seems that this time, it seems that the league is prioritizing the broadcasters and they're taking initiative and maybe going over the heads of the general managers to make this decision. Yeah, so actually, what I wanted to talk about concerning the draft was the actual draft, as in the players that are going to be drafted. Because considering the fact that it's possibly going to be happening in under a month from now, or maybe just over a month, uh, I think like Friday, June 5th and Saturday, June 6th were the date they were thinking, but now maybe it'll be pushed back to a week after that. Uh, so I started doing some research about the players that are going to be picked. I was familiar with most of the top names, but not as familiar with some of the mid-first round, late-first round, second round, uh, you know, estimated players. So I started looking into some research about them, uh, their numbers, what, what scouts were saying. And I obviously, as you can tell, I'm not a scout. I don't watch these junior players and these European players. I don't watch that much tape. But I don't think that that disqualifies me from being able to have opinions about them because I can look at what everybody else says and what they say objectively with maybe their own eyes from watching the game or from the, the numbers they look at. And I can look at a lot of different sources about that. And from that information I gather, I can make my own opinion. So that, that's one thing that kind of bugs me is like when players, when, or when people on like online forums or whatever, these just casual hockey fans, maybe not casual, like, you know, big hockey fans have these opinions about draft players that might even differ from the, you know, masses opinion. And all of a sudden their opinion is like pushed aside just because they haven't watched them play live. Like, no, they, you've watched the, like, no, you know, sorry, you haven't watched the players play, but you've read about them. You've done research about them. And so you're allowed to have an opinion too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So let's get into your opinion. Honestly, on my end, I haven't totally started my draft research. Obviously I've heard a bunch of these names uh, and you know, I know who's, who's first overall and all that, but uh I think I think we and uh, yeah I don't I don't I'm not such an expert on the draft yet. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But uh, so what do you think? Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts on this one? All right. Uh, so I guess I'll start at the top. Uh, Alexis Lafreniere is going to be the first pick. That's no secret. He's going to be a superstar winger for a very very long time. And Quinton Byfield is the consensus number two, who's a, a center in the Sudbury Wolves. He played for Canada at the, at the juniors. Even though there's actually been a little bit 
recently of talk that maybe Tim Stutzla could actually challenge him for number two. He's a, a German forward who plays in Mannheim of the DEL, which is the same team that Moritz Seider played for last year. Was the that surprise pick Detroit took sixth overall. So those are two d- dynamic wingers. I think uh, it was Bob McKenzie earlier, maybe around the World Juniors, said that in this draft, he predicts there are seven players who are going to be big difference makers. And those are three of them. The other ones are, are Marco Rossi, who's an Austrian center. He's like uh, he's like five for nine, but super dynamic. His numbers are comparable to Lafreniere's, he, he, albeit he is playing in the OHL, which is a slightly higher scoring league. And I think that he could probably be like maybe an Elias Pettersson type of player that would be like his, his high ceiling for, for Marco Rossi. Uh, Jamie Drysdale is the best defenseman in the draft. Uh, he played for Canada at the juniors too. Uh, you'll remember I was very high on him then and I still am. And the other two players that round out that um, that top seven, which isn't everybody's top se- top seven, but it's kind of, you know, the Bob, Bob McKenzie's idea. I trust Bob McKenzie when he says that's the top seven. Um, are two Swedish wingers, Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz, who are already both playing in professional leagues in Sweden. They're playing in men's leagues, so that their numbers aren't, they don't pop out the page at you, but when you compare them to other players their age in that league, that first of all, there aren't many of them, and th- those that are uh, tend to struggle much more than Raymond and Holtz do. So I don't know if those two could make the jump over to the NHL right away, or if they'll maybe stay in Sweden for another year, maybe come to the AHL, but the, they're expected to be top-line wingers eventually. Okay, so from a Habs perspective, right, we know that, you know, they're they're like seventh last, eighth last in the league right now, and so they'll probably end up with a pick, uh, especially if they go with this new format where we can't really move up or down, uh, around the seventh or eighth or ninth pick. And so what's your ideal scenario? Obviously, you know, realistic, uh, scenario yes. for either someone that could fall or someone that you haven't named that you really like uh, at that spot. Yeah, so uh, Montreal will be picking number eight unless they move up and win the lottery, or if someone that's behind them happens to push them back to ninth. All 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 signs point to the fact that they'll be picking number eight. So if those seven players are all gone, then there's is one player who I personally, from what I've gathered on him, think could possibly push into that top seven role or at least be in be in that tier with them and that's Cole Perfetti uh he was one of the last cuts for Canada at the world juniors and I was kind of disappointed because I wanted him to make the team he is a center and left winger uh wait have I said his name yet Cole Perfetti that's who I'm talking about anyway he plays for the Saginaw Spirit and he is kind of he's on the smallish side but as we've talked about many times before, that shouldn't be such a deciding factor in these players, especially with how the NHL is trending towards, you know, faster and more skilled. And he's got tons of skill. He, this year, I'm just going to read out his, his numbers. He's gotten 61 games in the OHL, 37 goals, 74 assists for 111 points. So those numbers do kind of speak for themselves. I watched him a little bit at the Holinka Gretzky tournament last summer. And he was one of the best players on the ice uh, in uh, the gold medal game, Canada and Russia. Um, Hendricks Lapierre, who's also in this draft, was very impressive in that game, but he's kind of been injured for most of the year. So Cole Perfetti, I expect him to go in the top 10. And if he was Montreal's pick at number eight, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, so it looks like, based on what you said, uh, that this is a pretty freaking good draft. Uh, and to have Montreal, you know, just on the edge, on the periphery of that top tier, uh, 
that's pretty good news. It, it sounds like uh, if, if Bergevin doesn't screw this one up, we'll be getting ourselves a pretty damn good player. Yeah, and um, so a few other players that Montreal might be considering at that juncture in the draft number eight. Um, obviously, one of those eight players that I've just mentioned will be, be available, of course. So those would be my preferences as one of those eight players. But some other options they will have there are Anton Lundell, who is a Finnish center, and his hallmark is two-way play. He does have tons of offensive upside, but basically they're saying like in terms of his defensive play, he, uh, it's absolutely elite for a draft-eligible player and comparable maybe even to what Alexander Barkov was like at that age, even though the offensive upside wouldn't be quite as high as Barkov. And also, Jake Sanderson is a name that's risen in a lot of rankings recently. He is the consensus second-best defenseman in the draft after Drysdale. He does shoot left, which, as we've mentioned, isn't exactly a gaping hole for Montreal anymore. But he's kind of, I think the comparable was like uh, Ryan McDonough, uh, in it, but maybe with a little more offensive skill and, and skating ability than Ryan McDonough. Not that Ryan McDonough isn't a good skater, but uh, Jake Sanderson is seen as a very good in that category, smooth skating defenseman. Nice. All right. So in terms of, you know, we talked about left defense as a whole, but right is, uh, not necessarily in the first round, but maybe even the later rounds, uh, who do you like as a right-shooting defenseman that you see maybe the Habs picking up on uh, since they do have a hole coming up in the future? Well, obviously, the best-case scenario would be for them to win the lottery, move up to fourth overall, and then Jamie Drysdale would be a viable option at that pick. Um, but otherwise, this draft has much more uh, left-shooting defensemen than right-shooting defensemen. Montreal is picking at 39 and 40 in this draft because, well, unless the order changes, we don't know what's going to happen because they have their own pick and Chicago's from the Andrew Shaw trade. So there's an outside chance that maybe someone like Justin Barron, who's a right shooting defenseman, would slip all the way there, but I honestly highly doubt that. Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't have which way these defensemen shoot in front of me. Um, I'm trying to remember. Helgi Grands is kind of a like an early second, late first kind of percepted, percepted uh, defenseman. I'm going to figure out right now which way he shoots. I do, do remember he's a Swedish defenseman, and he's kind of one of those like big, bruising, heavyweight kind of style players. So not exactly you know one, one of my favorites. But yeah, he does shoot right. So that could be a, a good option for Montreal in the second round too. I think Emil Andre also shoots right, and he's on the smaller spectrum for defense and is more of an offensive skating kind of player. So those are names to keep an eye on for Montreal. All right, great. Uh, so you have any other thoughts on the draft uh, on this class? Any other players you want to hmm. shout out? Oh, what other players do I want to shout out? Uh, let's see. How about uh, Dawson Mercer? I could talk about him a little bit. He played for... Team Canada at this year's juniors, actually, kind of a surprise addition to the team. And uh, that kind of, you can see the, that surprise coming through because he's probably estimated to go maybe around the, the 15 range. Maybe he could go like anywhere from like maybe 13 to 20. Uh, his ceiling is definitely not as high as any of those, those top 10 players in terms of offensive ability. I see him maybe being as more of like a, a second line player good, responsible, all-around kind of guy who does everything well, but nothing that exceptionally. So maybe Dawson Mercer, uh, someone like Columbus or Florida, going in that range. And uh, Seth Jarvis, 
he's one of the players who a lot of people seem to think has potential to be a steal in the draft. He is playing, I don't remember which team, uh, Portland in the WHL. And I think he's been near the leaderboard of scoring for that league for most of the year, if I remember correctly. Um, he could possibly go like anywhere from like 15 to 25, at least from what I've learned. But people seem to think the offensive skill is there and it's a matter of putting it together and he could possibly be a star in the draft, one of the best players, maybe like one of the top 10 when we look back on it. Okay, so, so those two players, right, in terms of comparison, a quick question. So in terms of draft philosophy, if you're a general manager, what do you prefer? You like the Dawson Mercer type? Uh, where it's it's a lower ceiling, but you got a much higher floor? Or do you like the other type, where it's like uh, you got a higher ceiling, but you got a lower floor? I prefer Seth Jarvis. And I think most people are coming around to, to that viewpoint also, agreeing with me, that especially in the first round, you got, you got to try to swing for the fences and go for who has the raw ability, who has the, the most talent that we can convert into the highest possible player. Because we've seen... Time and time again, these so-called safe picks are actually just, you know, oh, they'll probably cap out as like a third liner instead of where at the draft, the idea is to hope for more, hope for someone who can be better, hope for someone who can contribute higher up in the lineup and be a star for your team. Because those lower end players, you know, third, fourth liners, they're always available through trade and free agency. The draft is where you kind of have to really go for it and try to find those players who are going to be the cornerstones of your team. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on to that uh, when it comes to that stuff. Because, look, I mean, th- where else are you going to get these? Where, where else are you going to swing for the fences? I mean, all of these picks when it comes to the draft, because uh, the NHL, it does take a while for most players, uh, the vast majority of players, uh, to make the NHL. Um, it's just, it, it's really just like a kind of a crapshoot, even the first round. And so you really you got to swing for the fences. And then, because a lot of them won't pan out, but when they do, you want to make sure it's a really damn good one. And, uh, you know, like, as you said, these depth players, you can get them for cheap uh, just as a free agent if you really wanted to fill out, you know, your depths like that. But the guys that, fill, you know, that guys that you draft that, you know, become that become that home run, while well, you can't really, they rarely become available on the free agent market. And so really the draft is is the place where you, where you, you swing for the home run because, you know, there's there's really nowhere else where you can, you're going to get that kind of value. Before we move on to your trivia you have for me this week, one more little thing I want to mention about this draft. I think we've talked about it maybe a little bit uh, during the World Juniors, but this could be uh, an all-time draft for Germany. They could possibly have three players go in the first round. Tim Stutzel is going to be a very high pick. He'll be obviously in that list. John Jason Paterka, who was great for Germany at the World Juniors, he is most likely going to be in the first round. He's a, a winger, offensive skill winger. And Lucas Reichel, who um, is more estimated to be a second-round pick at this point, but maybe a team late in the first will nab him. Uh, he's also a, a German winger, so three German forwards could maybe go in the first round this year. I haven't done the research on it, but I don't think that that, that, that has ever happened before. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, you'll have to see just the range of countries kind of grow in terms of hockey. That's great for the game. And, uh, yeah, you got to give credit to Dreisaitl. I think there's definitely an effect there uh, when he came over from Germany and has been an absolute superstar since. And so, uh, yeah, it's great to see Germany. We talked about Germany uh, when it came to the World Juniors uh, six like six months ago. And, uh, yeah, now we see them in the draft, and uh, that's exciting stuff. Yep. 
Moritz Seider, too, last year, sixth overall. He's a, a German player. So Germany has been churning out this high-level talent over the past few years. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so I think that wraps it up for this week's draft talk. Uh, but not quite, because I've got a quiz, and it's pretty draft-themed, and it's exclusively oh. draft-themed. Uh, because, you know, there's been a draft talk. We like to keep it topical here uh, on this side of the quiz-making. Uh, so... I've got here, this is a relatively simple quiz, okay? Uh, we we kind of simple it down for this week. So we have, I have here a list of 22 names. And they are all first-round picks. And they are all Montreal Canadiens first-round picks since Whoa. the year 2000. So your, your exercise is simply to name as many as you can. First-round picks of the Montreal Canadiens that they actually used, of course. They, they didn't trade these picks. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we've got, I believe, one year where there was no first-rounder and another year where there were two first-rounders, or no, two years where there were two first-rounders. And so, yeah, that's why there are 22. Uh, so let's set the bar. What do you think? Um, hmm. I know I want you to set the bar for me I because I, I want to see how you think I'm going to do. Okay. Um, I think... Let me see. Let me just look at my list real quick. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, I think 15, 16. How do you feel about 16? 16? Okay. Honestly, I was thinking 16. If you were going to make me pick, I would have gone to 16. So that's fair. We'll go 16 on 22. All right. All right. So let's start in the most recent years. Uh, Cole Caulfield, that's one. Yes. Right? Okay. Yesperi yep. Kotkaniemi, that's another one. We're at two. Of course. Moving right along. Ryan Paling from 2017. Mikhail Sergachev from 2016. Noah Juleson from 2015. Nikita Sherback from 2014. Michael McCarron from 2013. Alex Galchenyuk from 2012. Nathan Beaulieu from 2011. So I am at I'm at nine now, right? Uh, yeah, nine so far. Rolling right. right along. Um, I don't remember which year was which, but Jared Tenorti is one of them, and Louis LeBlanc was another. Uh, in 2009 and 10, I, I don't remember which year was which, but yeah, do, I don't need to know the year, right? No, you don't need to. And and LeBlanc came first in 09, uh, noted absolute bust, and then Jared Tenorti came in 2010. All right. Um, I don't remember 2008. That might have been the year they didn't have one. Uh, I'll come back to that if I need to. 2007, that was, they had two first rounders, Ryan McDonough and Max Pacioretty. So, Correct. 13. All right, so I need three more. Uh, 2006, that was David Fisher, because I remember that's wow. the name I was like, oh. Looking back on no, I know, I know this one. I'll always remember because that's the one everyone looks back. Oh, they could have Claude Giroux. He went two picks later, but instead they took David Fisher. So that's a memorable one for me. David Fisher, two thousand five. Yeah. That was Car- that was Carey Price. Yes. All right. So I need one more. I need one more. Need one more. Uh, two thousand four. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, 2003. Oh, 2003. Oh, I know this one because this is the greatest okay. draft of all time, as most people look on it. Andre Kostitz in 10th overall. Yes. Wow. Yes. Just I, like that. I've done it. Just like that. 
He did Damn. it 16. He made it look easy. He breezed through it in what seemed like two minutes. Um, so you want? Let's keep going. Let's see how many you can name. So you hit the 16 mark. What can? What? What? What more do you think? And also, uh, I've got a bonus question at the end. Okay, you know, honestly, I think 16 is exactly where I am tapped. Wait, Ron Hainsey was he a first rounder? Yes, he was. He is the cutoff for this quiz. At uh, he was drafted in 2000 in the first round. In 2000, wow. Okay, so so that's nice. I remember that one. So I'm so, so I'm missing five now. Uh, was there any in 2008? No, there weren't. That was the year where they didn't have a draft pick first rounder. Okay. Um, so am I only am I uh, the five I'm missing? Is it like 2001, 2002, 2004, or what else am I missing? Yeah, 2001. Oh, actually, there are a couple in 2001. Um, there's one in 2002, one in 2004, and the other one is another 2000 draft pick. Oh, okay. I, I don't, don't expect me to be able to get any of these. but okay. you've, uh, definitely heard of, you've definitely heard of three of these guys. I definitely heard of three I mean, of them. Did they have yeah. – are you allowed to tell me if they had significant careers with Montreal? Yeah, I'd say they have. Uh, I don't know, Mike Komaserik? Is he one of them? Yeah, Mike Komaserik, 2001. Oh, really? Draft. Yeah. Oh, nice. Montreal Canadiens, yes. That's Look great. at me go. Yeah. Uh, who else? Who else? Uh, uh, hmm. <laughs> Trying to think back to, like, the like 2010 era sort of thing. Uh, all right, Halak was, like, an eighth-round pick, so not him. Chris Higgins? Was he one of their picks? Wow, he's absolutely rolling. Um, absolutely. Okay, because because I have this I have this like DVD set of like 10 most memorable games in Canadians history and they had some crazy comeback against the Rangers in 2008 where they came back from down 5 nothing and won 6-5 in the shootout. So and Chris Higgins for some reason he stands out in my mind because the first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, he's on the Canucks now. I never knew he was on Montreal." And I feel because I have looked at like past draft classes, like I've seen these before. So I, I guess the notion of Chris Higgins as a Montreal first rounder was somewhere deep in the recesses of my mind. Huh. Well, good for you. And there's one more guy you probably almost definitely heard of. Uh, he played three seasons with the Habs. His games with the Habs were limited, but he was a name. Uh, I don't know if you'll get him, but that's just I'll give you a moment if you want. Uh, you know what's funny? This player just came to mind. Maybe it's because I just saw him on my Twitter feed recently uh, because he's living in Florida now and he made some sort of, I don't know, message about COVID or whatever. Glenn, Met- Glenn Metropolit, is it him? Uh, no, it's not. It's not. I'll okay. look up where he was, what was up, he was up to. Um, so let's see. He was drafted... He was undrafted. He was undrafted, and he okay. started with, yeah, I think he started with the Habs. All right. But he was undrafted. All uh, right. So that's pretty good. No, I'm going um, yeah. to stop while I'm ahead. I don't want to spend too much time racking my brain about this player I don't know and get all frustrated because I did great on that quiz. So I'll just let yes, you, you did. tell me the, the last few that 19, I'm missing. 19 names in a row, uh, all of them correct, not a wrong guess in there. And so even if I had a trouble Right. But 19, the first 19 were all correct. Even if I had implemented a strike system where you lose if you miss, you wouldn't have missed. And so that was mighty impressive. Uh, so the one guy I thought you might have heard of is Kyle Chipchura. Um, he was oh, yes, of course. 
So he was drafted in 2004. And uh, the other two guys in 2001 was Alexander Paragosian. Uh, and 2000 was Marcel Hosa. Interesting. I, I, I don't know if he's related to Marion. Yeah, they're but, brothers. Uh, they're brothers. Okay. Well, the Habs drafted him in the first round. And so my bonus question was going to be, which of these players has played the most? Played the most for Montreal or played the most in the NHL? In the NHL. Uh, hmm. All right. It's either Price or Pacioretty or Ryan McDonough. Uh, I don't think it's Price because he's had injuries and goalies get more rest than other players. Either McDonough or Pacioretty. It's probably close between those two. Uh, unless... Oh, no, wait. Ron Hainsey. Of course it's Ron Hainsey. He's like over a thousand games. How did I forget? Oh yeah, Ron Hainsey. That's my guess. Yeah, it's Ron Hainsey. I didn't think you'd get him in the first round, so that's why I threw him in the second. And uh, yeah, okay. he's played a thousand. He's played over over a thousand games. A thousand and sixty-eight, still active. Uh, yeah, Ron Hainsey, noted first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, very well done. Knocked out of the Thank park you. in all rounds. All right. Uh, concerning um next week's trivia. I already know exactly what it's going to be. I thought of it earlier this week, and I thought, thought, wow, I think that's a pretty good idea. So I made note of it, but I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. So I guess we're going to be leaving this episode on a bit of a cliffhanger. Wow. Do I even get a hint? Um, it has to do with... Uh, hmm. Let's see. Cause if I give you the, the logical hint, then it kind of gives it away. I'll just tell you it has to do with the year 2016. Oh, boy. That is a very random year, if you ask me. Um, anything happened? Because was... anyways, I'll do my research. Uh, you already know I'm gonna be reading the 2016 Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> with so... ice hockey in 2016. So don't look. Don't go look yeah. up current events. Somebody's <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Donald Trump got elected in 2016. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's so... go the quiz. All right. So, um, uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, yeah. Unless you got anything else to add before we leave. I uh, no, that's it for. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back oh, next week. One last thing. Oh, what have you been up to this okay. last week? Oh, yes. Yeah, so how do we forget session? that? What have I been up Yeah, we were doing this weekly session. I think it was the novelty of it was nice at the beginning. But now, since it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we're just, you know, this is our life now. The novelty's kind of maybe worn off a little bit, so we keep forgetting about it. But uh, hmm, trying, trying to think back. I was, this week, I was sad when Michael Lennon signed with the Leafs. Um... I'm very close to being done with school for good. Uh, not not for good, for this semester. I'm going back to school in the fall. Um, huh, what else? I actually, I sat outdoors earlier and listened to a hockey podcast. Actually, a draft preview or an NHL draft kind of podcast with like a couple of NHL.com guys. So it was cool. To, you know, I sat out. Actually, I don't know if you know this. In the West Island, about, I think last summer, there was like this, like a bunch of the trees had like these diseases that was going to make them like fall over eventually. So they had to cut down the trees, but what they did is they went around and they had a bunch of new trees planted in their places. So now we have these like tiny little trees, like these weak trees planted in our backyard that are being held up with like a stick in the ground, like you being used as a stake. So we have like these tiny trees where massive trees used to be. And I was just kind of like, sitting next to one of them listening to a podcast a couple days ago. So that was nice. Um, anything else I've been up to? Uh, you know, not really. Not really, I guess. Uh, so actually, for the first time in like five years, I decided 
because I've been watching lots of Disney Plus, as I'm sure you know. I watched this movie called Teen Beach Movie that came out in like 2013, a Disney Channel movie. You might have heard of basically the concept is like these two kids like find this magic surfboard that somehow transports them into like a 1960s beach movie. Like not as if like they're meeting the actors, but like the world of the movie is actually the universe that they're in. So like they're interacting with all these like you know, stereotypical 1960s beach movie characters and like surfers and bikers. And it's absolutely hilarious because basically every trope they use gets excused because they make fun of it also. It's hilarious. I forgot how funny it was, or maybe the humor just kind of flew over my head when I watched it for the first time. Anyway, so that's what I did last night. How about you? Oh, uh, you know, not much has changed uh, since last week. Uh, I think you're right when you said the novelty is kind of worn off on the segment, but you know, I think it's worth it. Uh, give some insight into this quarantine. And, uh, yeah, I haven't been up to much. I mean, last night, I had an interesting taste of live sports. No, it wasn't the UFC fight, but in fact, I was watching um, some some sports blogger from SB Nation. He's, he got furloughed. But basically, he's uh, simulating uh, trying to build, you know, college basketball. Trying to build a college basketball franchise as a coach. But he picked a really small franchise that he's sticking with them. And he's in year eight of his project. Uh, as coach of the Western Illinois University Leathernecks. And uh, so he was live streaming. He, he's, it's, it's been a big struggle over the last eight years. Anyways, he's got a great team this year. And he was live streaming uh, because his team actually made it to the national championship you know, tournament, March Madness. He made it to the Final Four, and he was streaming the Final Four last night. They won in the Final Four. And so they, he immediately streamed the Finals. So he uh, the national championship game, uh, the Leathernecks, and they ended up beating Kansas, so national champions uh, in year eight of his project. And funny enough, this has gained so much attention, if you can call it that, um, that the actual Leathernecks basketball team, uh, they, they were tweeting about it, and they changed their profile picture to um, one of the players in the video game. And so I think that's very interesting. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I was doing last night. It was like a solid two hours where I was just watching, you know, and he's not even playing, right? He's just simulating the game. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, was, it was fascinating. And, uh, yeah, so go Leathernecks. If you want to check this series out, he's going to keep it going, even though he's won the national championship. Uh, just look up Ricky O'Donnell and uh, just eat the Leathernecks and college basketball. You should look that up, and it'll probably be the first search result. So, yeah, that that was the big thing in terms of the live sports. Uh, that's what I was doing yesterday. All right. Uh, cool, 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 cool. So, as I was saying... Uh, since I think that wraps it up on the somewhat not novel anymore segment that now is the end of this episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast and we will be returning next week May 17th. Oh, happy Mother's Day by the way. Share this episode and listen to our old episodes too if you like if you've got nothing else to do um, because to be totally honest since not much has happened over the last two months those episodes are not necessarily out of date so uh, <laughs> yeah take care everyone. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today.